Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. Um, Today we have a really special guest. Um, He is probably one of the most generous people I know. He has spent his life dedicated to serving the needy, um, the widows, the orphans of, of this world. His name is Tom Agum. He is the president and founder of Hope for Kids International, a great, great partner, international partner of Northgate. He's been a part uh, of our ministry pretty much from the very, very beginning. So I'm going to ask you to give a warm Northgate welcome to Tom Agum, would you? Thanks, Ken. <laughs> well, Good morning. It must be Thanksgiving weekend because I'm here. 23 years we've been doing this. One of these days it's going to become a tradition. Yeah, right, yeah, yeah. But it's good to see all of you, great friends and supporters of Hope for Kids International over the years. A lot of you have traveled with us, so uh, you've experienced that. And a lot of you sponsor kids, some of you three or four kids. Thank you so much for changing the lives of kids who are destined for failure, for no you know, hopelessness. And to see them now is really, really absolutely amazing. You know, do you ever have a crazy week? Yeah, maybe this was. It was a crazy one for me too. Last Sunday, I worshiped in a tin shed in Uganda. Yeah. So to be here, it's like, whoa, how'd I get here? And what an experience. If you've been with us, some of the poorest people on the planet with the most joy you've ever met. Many people travel with us say that joy is the surprise for them. They expected people in poverty and facing all of the obstacles to be kind of whiny and kind of like we are. You know, and if I try to put myself in their footprints, in their their, uh, footprints sometime, and I think I could not be that joyful if I faced what they face every day, barely surviving, children dying, Because of lack of basics of life, water and medicine and food. And I'm always encouraged. I mean, filled up. And what was fun for me, Ken, was, you know Judith and Clephas. You've known them for a number of years. They're both on our staff at our NGO there. And uh, they have a church called Seaside Church. Did you know that? Oh, it's cool. And... uh, Two years ago, a little over two years ago, they asked to talk to me when I was on my, one of my trips over there, and, and usually that means that they have a need they need to tell you about. But this was quite different. I was, you know, many of you have prayed for me over the years as I battled cancer, and it just kept coming back, coming back, and different treatments, different treatments, and, and I was on hormone treatment then. You remember that? I cried all the time. Remember? Yeah. Uh, oh. I could be so mean right now, but I won't. But anyway, um, but anyway, they uh, met me at the hotel, and we went back to a back room, and they said, we just want to worship and praise with you. And for maybe 30 minutes, they just worshiped and praised and sang, and, and then they spoke to me lifelike. You know, they said, we know the doctor has said this. But you are not in the hands of a doctor. You are in the hands of the Almighty God. He has final say. And last Sunday, I was able to stand up in their little church and say thank you. Because a few months ago, I had a checkup. 
My, the prediction was that 12 months to 18 months after I finished the hormone treatment, the cancer would appear someplace else, and I would start another treatment. That was two years ago. And my, yeah. And my doctor, when I met my doctor in June, he said, I brought a medical student in with me because I want, him, I want him to meet you because you've beat the odds. And he said, he said, he's a Facebook friend of mine, and he said, I see all those Africans praying for you. And I think that has something to do with this. So last Sunday, I was able to tell that story in Uganda and tell the, uh, thank Judith and, and Clefus and the church for praying for me. And oh boy, did they get crazy. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. And then on Monday, I had a small group there with me and we fed um, the Karaman Jung. Is uh, Ivana in here? There's Ivana in the back, wave, and Ray, wave. Ivana's on our staff. They, they, they live up in the uh, Sacramento area. They just got back from Uganda just, what, 10 days ago now? Something like that. H- have you adjusted to the time? I'm not anymore. <laughs> wow. Back, now, now you're back to normal. I, at 4 o'clock this morning, I was like, eh, let's go. <laughs> it was 4.20, so I slept in. Uh, <laughs> But they saw it firsthand. And you guys did that, didn't you? You, you fed the caramel junk. It's it, one of the most moving things that I, I, it seems I, I never tire of that. And one of the things that we teach is that the scripture says that when you do it on the least of these, you do it unto me. And I actually think it's an act of worship. And so I tell our teens, when you hand that plate of food to the child, whisper under your breath, unto you, Jesus. And it always gets me. I always cry. I think you do that once in a while too. Uh, but what a, what a special day. And then Wednesday, I flew back to Maryland and ha- uh, Wednesday night and then had Thanksgiving on Thursday with my family there. And Friday, we were cutting trees and I posted something on Facebook and Rick from here writes, oh, that's an accident waiting to happen. And sure enough, it swung and tree went the wrong way and mangled me a little bit. And then last night, got here. So that's a crazy week. But God is so faithful and it's so uh, purposeful to be able to know that you are in the center of his will, doing what he's asked us to do. I want to, for you that don't know of Hope for Kids or you that do, I just want to show you a a few quick uh, pictures to introduce ourselves. Uh, One of the things that we do, as I mentioned, we feed kids in Namibia, in Uganda, in the Philippines, and... um, We get a food from Feed My Starving Children. Have you heard of that organization? Great organization. It's a, it's, let me see if there's the next picture. Yeah, shows it's a manna pack and it's dried food, soy based and dried vegetables and soy. And and we mix it with rice and it's very nutritious. And it literally saves lives if they're malnourished and fills their stomachs. And so we're on the A plus list because of our financial accountability. So they give us all the food we want. We just have to raise the money to ship it. Like for, for a, a container with 375,000 meals, we, 
uh, to send it to Uganda costs us $15,000. But then when you think of the price per meal and what it does, it's really worth it. So this is part of what we're doing, is meeting the physical needs of kids that are, that are malnourished. And if you go to the Philippines, which I'm leading a trip on February 2nd, it'd be fun to see some of you go. There was a nurse here today, first time in church here, and she is going to be there and wants to join up with us and do some medical stuff. Oh, it's awesome. Anyway, you can ride on a motorcycle. I, I, I like Harley Davidson's, but I'd give you a ride on that bike if you want to. It's fun. Uh, one of the things we do everywhere is sponsor a child, and you have that opportunity. Many of you do. It's a dollar a day, $31 a month. And this is the life changer. See, we're not about handouts. We're about hand-ups. And there's so many needy people around the world that don't have the chance for education. And we believe that education breaks the cycle of poverty. So you sponsor one of these children, and you change their destiny. In fact, we've been doing it long enough that this last year, we graduated two of our children from medical school. They're doctors now. Yeah. And I don't know if this is anything to brag about, but one of them graduated from law school and is a lawyer. <laughs> little, little joke there. Anyway, one of my sons is a lawyer. Um, and some are in vocational school, some are you know, finishing high school, some are just starting out, but it's a life changer. I hear the testimony of these kids, and they were hopeless, had no future, and this changed them for a buck a day. So that's something, and those kids in the Philippines, they're just, nobody's cuter, not even my little one. Um, and Cuba is another place that we're back. We haven't been back in, to Cuba in about, when did you get kicked out with me? 13 years ago, 12 years ago? Wow. They finally let us back if we don't bring Ken. <laughs> But we're back a couple times a year. I'll be leading a trip there in uh, end of February. And that's a great opportunity because they are getting some freedom now and things are opening up and they're able to worship more openly. And so we're helping with a community center. Um, we're doing some church construction to help uh, these pastors. We're partnering with the pastors. And many of these guys have suffered for the name of Christ, been imprisoned and, and are just so fill, filled with joy and have house churches. And so it's a, it's a great, great place to go. It's short destination. Plus, they have cool cars. So anyway, um, then in March, we go to India, and that's an annual trip, and that's a, a big life changer, too, for kids. We sponsor kids down at the Hope Academy in, um, uh, in Calcutta, and we've been going there a number of years, but this was my first time in Calcutta, and we visit Mother Teresa's ministry and can serve there a day or two. Uh, we also serve these kids in this school. And to see these kids, they're so polite, they're clean, they're in these beautiful uniforms, they're learning English. I mean, they're just brilliant little guys. What really impacted me was I went to see where they live. This is a picture of where they live. And of all the places I've been, it's one of the poorest I've ever seen. You know, you come to a little square cement building that has nothing, and there could be nine people living in that room. And to see what little they have and how desperate they are to know that we're offering them the food and, and education, and they're going to be able to work for an international company with that kind of education, they're going to break that cycle. So that's, and plus, we're, you know, the bottom line of everything we do is we do it because of the love of Christ, and we share the love of Christ wherever we go. So these kids are getting a Christian education. 
Um, in July, we're going back to Uganda. We go there in July and November, and we have two back-to-back trips. I know today at 1.30, if you're interested, I'll be sharing some, uh, at, uh, answering some questions and talking about that because a number of you will be going. And then probably the thing that moves my heart the most, and I probably say that about three or four things, but this one's really true, um, is w- the need for water. And you've all been a part of Walk for Water. You've been doing that. The church has, has together with, with people from your church and your events, have raised 28 wells. That's $280,000. And we figure about 5,000 people are benefiting from each well. And I think that's a conservative thing. So Larry was doing the math, as he loves to do. And he said, that's 140,000. People today are getting safe water. And when we talk about safe water, we're not talking about safe to drink. Because in that area where we're drilling most of our wells, we've, dr- we've drilled over 430-some or maybe even more now, um, 52% of the kids die before their fifth birthday. And 80-some percent of their diseases are waterborne. So it's because of their water. So cholera disappears. When we talk about safe water, we're not just talking about safe to drink, but the little girls that have to go get the water in that culture, they're often abused along the way and have terrible experiences there and are victims. And now they don't have to take that risk. And they couldn't go to school because they're out getting water. Now we drill a borehole in their village. They can get water before or after school and become educated. So the World Health Organization said it's the best dollar-for-dollar charitable gift you can give. And that's that's really amazing. And when you go to their dedications, I mean, they scream and holler and dance and give you goats and chickens and stuff. It's kind of fun. Um, But it's really amazing. And then we try to do things for the widows. We have uh, widow sponsorship programs. We uh, teach them for a year uh, business skills and that sort of thing, set them up in a business. Here we're building a mud hut and... and, and, uh, uh, she, this girl there, she was so happy to get muddy, I guess, or something. But anyway, um, and then in Namibia, Southwest Africa, we, we are, uh, renovating, uh, places that kids live down there, which is really a, a powerful thing. And then, um, finally, um, uh, we also go to Romania. So those are our main destinations right now. Every, anybody's welcome to go along. You can check out the table afterward. Ivana's there, and we'll give you information on all of that. And then also, one, one other thing, um, uh, you always participate in our, our Christmas giving. Like, if you want to give a gift to somebody, but what can you give them? You can give them something, and we send them a card and say that you gave a gift on their behalf. Maybe it's a mosquito net or a pair of shoes or uh, help with safe water or filtration system or a mattress or whatever. It's really a cool thing. So grab one of those off the table out there too. Now, I want to talk about the foundation of why we do what we do and why I think as a follower of Jesus, we should all be involved in making a difference in our world, whether it's across the street or across the sea. And sometimes people say, well, you're kind of like a humanitarian organization. It doesn't sound much like you preach the gospel. And to me, what we're doing is preaching the gospel. And we do pastor's training. We do church planning. We do uh, uh, 
a mission for character with, with students. I think almost 100,000 students in Uganda alone have received that training. It's from, from biblical principles. But I might not talk about that so much and how many people have come to Christ. But I had a pastor tell me a few years ago that just because of our wells... He figured about 7,000 people had been converted, baptized, and brought into the church just because of our wells. See, when we drill a well, um, we've seen this. They believe God answered their prayer. I'll often say, how many of you were praying for safe water in your village? Almost everybody. And they know it's a gift. I've had people say, how did God find us out here (laughs) on his big planet, this small little village? And they give glory to God. When one of the dedications I was at, a politician got up. They love to show up when they, you know, and take credit. And so he was giving a little speech trying to take credit. And some old gentleman stood up and said, shut up and sit down. You didn't give us this well. God did, you know. And that's how they look at it. So it's like how a pastor said to me, how can you tell kids about heaven if they're hungry? And they're thinking about, why doesn't God love me enough to give me another meal? See, there's so many questions like, God, why aren't you answering my prayer? And the thing that embarrasses me a lot of times is their faith is way better than ours. It's way greater than mine. And yet you say, they're praying for the basics of life. So when I see this, I go, we're bringing the gospel, the good news. We are becoming the hands and feet of Jesus, and they know it. And the foundation of everything we do, one of my, out of my top 10 life verses, this is one of them. And it's found in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10. And it says, for it is by grace you've been saved through faith. And that's, let's just stop there. Has nothing to do with our good works, nothing to do with how good we are or we, we're better than somebody else. It's all about grace. It's all about faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God. Not by works, so no one can boast. For we are God. I love this part. For, well, the first part's cool too. But for we are God's handiwork. You and me are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. We are created for this purpose, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Wow. See, this is the foundation of everything we do. This is the purpose for you and me as followers of Jesus. To know this fully, we have to look at the big story in the Bible from beginning to end. When I was at Bible college a lot of years ago in Seattle and in Los Angeles, one of the things I learned that I still remember is how to read the Bible. You know, I used to just kind of, Lord, show me something. Do the, oh, go out and hang yourself. Well, no. Uh, uh, you, you have to look at the Bible in its context. That you look and say, looking at the Bible, always look at the context in which it was written, asking questions. What was the historical setting this was written in? What was the author saying to the people of that time? How does it fit in the whole context of the big story throughout the Bible? Then, what is God saying to me through his word? 
because it's alive. It's the living word. And many of us have been going through difficult times and you look at God's word and it lifts you up. It's like the word of the day. But the danger is that if we just pick a verse here and pick a verse there and, and, and then we build something, we get weird. That's why I have to come back here every year and straighten people out. <laughs> Bring them back. Not really. This is an awesome. You're living it. You're living it. This church lives it. You're a generous place. You care about the needy. You care about the poor. You care about people outside your walls. An example of a distorted view of the scripture would be if you just focus on the cross and what Jesus did for us by giving his life for our sins, we probably have the view that his whole purpose is to save us. And get us out of this terrible world as fast as he can. So we can reach heaven, which is our real home. But if we view the cross and the resurrection, you know, the full story, we get a different view. We still know that heaven's our destination. But because of the resurrection, we have a purpose today, here, now. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is within us to be his presence on the earth. We pray in the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come on earth as it did in heaven. When he was raised from the dead, he established his kingdom. We are part of that kingdom. He gave us the Holy Spirit that we might continue to be the light and salt of the earth. That we might spread the good news. That we might hold back the evil. That we might set a standard and bring about renewal. N.T. Wright is a, a writer that I, I really like to go to because he's one of the, probably, well, one of the greatest biblical scholars of our day. He's written over 50 books, most of them on the New Testament. He's a professor at St. Andrews in, in, uh, uh, in Scotland. He writes in the book, Surprised by Hope, the point of the resurrection is that the present bodily life is not valueless just because it will die. What you do with your body in the present matters because God has a great future in store for it. And I like this, and it sounds like I wrote this, but I didn't. He did. What you do in the present by painting, preaching, singing, sowing, praying, teaching, building hospitals, digging wells, campaigning for justice, writing poems, caring for the needy, loving your neighbor as yourself will last into God's future. These activities are not simply ways of making life a little less. And he used a word here that I never use. It's kind of weird, but he said less beastly. I guess it's a British thing. It might be swearing. I don't know. But a little less beastly. Do you ever say that? Well, my life is a little less beastly right now. <laughs> or a little more bearable. Until the day when we leave it all behind and get home to heaven. No, we are a part of what we may call building of God's kingdom. That's our purpose. Sometimes people say, oh, they're really into missions, but I'm into just worshiping. 
Well, as a follower of Jesus, my purpose is to be the salt and light. It's to impact my world, whether it's at school or work or or wherever I am or across the sea. When I hear about children dying because they don't have the basics of life, it's my business. And when I get that question, well, if God is so loving, why are there so many people suffering? It's because we're not hearing him. If we obeyed, we would be making a much greater difference on this wor- in this world. And people would say, God loves me. I've been praying for water, and I got it. In my remote village, God cares. He doesn't say you're just an African. He sees you as a special person created, formed in the womb, and he saw that little child and said, I have purpose. If my people will hear, they will become the answer to your prayer. Wow. Talk about purpose. You see, I, I want heaven. And there have been times through sickness I've wanted heaven immediately. But God has a purpose. He has more for us. I often pray. Most every day I pray this prayer in the morning. I say, loving God, because he is a loving God. And I say, thank you for your mercy and your grace and the cross of Jesus, because it's all I have. And then I say, thank you for one more day to serve you. See, when I hear the arrogance of Christ's followers, I I think there's no place for arrogance. This is about this gift he's given us. This is about the privilege he gave us to live today and to serve him and to look for that opportunity. It's everywhere. A chance for us to bring healing, to reach out to somebody, to say something, to give something, to show God's unconditional love. When I've been asked, I remember one time early on in ministry, smuggling Bibles into the Soviet Union, visiting children hospitals, and one doctor, atheist doctor, Gorbachev was his name, if you can believe it. And I came several years, and finally, I think it was a third year or something, he said, why do you keep coming back? He thought it was about getting pictures and, and saying we did this good thing. And I said, because God has shown mercy in my life. And I want to show mercy. And if they're hurting, we're hurting. And I was able to introduce him to Jesus. And that was like July. And in October, he died. So we have a chance every day. In fact, Wright says in the book, Challenge of Jesus, our task as image-bearing, see, we should look like Jesus, God-loving, Christ-shaped, we should be changed to be more like him, spirit-filled Christians, we ought to be dependent on his spirit within us to give us boldness, to give us his peace, to, you know, meet all of those things we lack. Following Christ and shaping our world is to announce redemption to the world. 
that has discovered its fallenness. To announce healing to a world that has discovered its brokenness. To proclaim love and trust to a world that only knows exploitation, fear, and suspicion. See, the gospel of Jesus points us and indeed urges us to be on the leading edge of the whole culture. Articulating in story, music, art, philosophy, education, poetry, politics, and theology. The day in which we live, the media and a lot would say, you Christians, just stay in your church and keep your stuff to yourself. And we'll live our life out here. They would love for us just to keep it here. But that's not what spreading the kingdom of God is. That's not what being the light is. That's not what, what um, being the salt of the earth and stopping corruption and, 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 and establishing the kingdom and saying Christ was here. Because the lives were transformed. Because there's honesty now. There's transparency. You know, it goes on and on. The church exists primarily for two closely correlated purposes. To worship God and to work for his kingdom. The church also exists for a third purpose which serves the other two. And here's where this all comes in. To be able to do that, to be able to be the light, to be able to be the salt, we need to encourage each other. Not tear each other down. It's to encourage each other, build one another up in faith, pray with each other and for one another, learn from one another, teach one another, and to set one another examples to follow. There are challenges to take up, tasks to perform. And this is what we call fellowship. This is why you need the local church. This is why we need each other. We can't do it on our own. Does this make sense? Wow. Just purpose for us. If he gives you another day, serve him. So let's read the scripture and discover our purpose. Let's encourage each other. Let's worship together. We are the hands and feet of Jesus. We're the answer to somebody's prayer. Wow. We are the light and the salt of the earth. His kingdom has come. Let's live it. I have a pastor friend who says, when they dismiss from church, bring some heaven today. Go spread some heaven. His kingdom. Well, let's pray. Loving God, thank you so much. You have been speaking to our hearts from your word, challenging us as followers of Jesus to reflect you, to Know that you've given us a purpose. God, we thank you for each person here that you're changing us, you're using us, you're inspiring us to be that salt and light. So Jesus, we want to give you praise and honor for being that good, good father for your mercy on each one of us, for your grace. And it's amazing you take imperfect people, struggling people, people have a long way to go, and use us daily to bring your word through our words and through our actions. So God, this morning we surrender and say we want to be that 
person you want us to be. We want to be that handiwork you've created for this purpose. Now send us in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California. You made a way for the world.